morning. Good to see you as we continue to worship the Lord and going through the book of Job and said I better take this in bigger chunks or we could be here for a long time in the book. Uh, we're going to look at uh, chapters 11 through 14 this morning as entitled Enduring Undeserved Rebuke. Um, just a thought, I guess, with a, thinking of children this morning, I appreciate Tam, uh, Tammy's children's sermon and the fact is that Everybody's valuable. You may feel small, but you're big in God's eyes. So just a reminder. Um, and then, of course, having Addie Grace with us, what a joy to see her. Now, think about the youth that are headed to camp tomorrow in Greenville, North Greenville University for Centrifuge. We need to keep them in prayer. And then uh, as Trace and Becky travel with this baby being born, they can, what a joy, have that little grandbaby. And so we just have a lot to be thankful for. Um, But uh, anyway, let's look at our scripture and then we'll pray and look at the message. I just want to read the first uh, two verses of chapter 11 and chapter 12 for scripture reading. So stand in God's honor uh, when you find that. Then Zophar the Naothite replied, Our All these words to go unanswered. Is this talker to be vindicated? Then Job replied, Doubtless you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, God, to worship you. Lord, it's always about how great you are. Not how great we are. God, we're often a mess or a wreck. And Father, it may be physically, it may be emotionally, it may be spiritually, that you are the God who loves us. And Father, as we look at Job and this morning, guys who are supposed to be his good friends, and Lord, they just lay into him. And, uh, Father, thank you as we take a chance to look at this, Father, that there's some bigger questions than uh, the answers we have. And, Father, I, I pray that we just take some time to look at those as we look at the Scripture. Thank you, Father, for the book of Job, how it speaks of suffering, and, Father, how you love us. So just guide us in the time that remains, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Someone has said that troubles are a lot like cockroaches. You know, when you see a cockroach, you don't see one that's single. They're married and have large families. Everywhere. And sometimes with trouble, it seems that way. That adversity can become just overpowering. It says in Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. As we look at Job this morning, here's a guy, the amount of pain that he has experienced. Guys, it's just heartbreaking. He sees, you know, his possessions destroyed, uh, his his business and his servants who, who, who die but, but then the pain of his children, his, his, his children dying, going through that, he and his wife. 
And then he goes through physical pain. He goes through suffering. And as we looked at last week, he, he, he finds himself in, you know, he was the most prominent person in the town. And then he finds himself sitting at the garbage dump, a place where there's trash, a place where there's manure, not the place you want to hang out. And he's just scratching himself because he's suffering physically, just trying to find some relief. And his three friends come, they travel, they want to comfort him, they want to sympathize with him, they want to sit with him, they want to help him. And they sit for seven days, the scripture says, they don't say a word. But then at the end of those days, they speak. And something happened, they came with this agenda to be a comfort to their friend who had gone through so much pain. But... As they sat there and as they listened to him vent, and by the way, when people are hurting, you can't always take to heart the exact meaning of what they're saying because a lot of times, as I mentioned in the last time I spoke on this, we're like a sponge. We can only take so much in and then you've got to squeeze it out. It's, it's got to come out because you can't hold any more. And Job could not hold any more. And so he just let it out. And, and they took his words and, and they sat there and, 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 and they you know analyzed them. And then they spoke back to him, his three friends. You know, the first one started and, and he talked about the past. He, he, he talked about past experiences and, and how Job should look at that and, and he shouldn't talk like that. And then the next friend talked about philosophers. They, they talked about these great thinkers of old and, and how Job should learn from that and how dare he use words like that. And then we come to chapter 11 and we see his friend Zophar. Zophar is your, oh man, your classic guy in the church that hurts you. He's the legalist. He's the guy that doesn't take the convictions, but he takes the preferences. And look, there's a difference there. There are such things that are convictions that, that are in the scripture you can't get away from. Things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if it was not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would be without hope. We'd be the most to be pitied. That's a conviction. You Guys, you can't get away from those types of truths. They are foundational. But then there are preferences. Well, I don't really think a person should come and wear that kind of clothes and come to church. Or I, I really don't like that particular type of music in a church. Or, or you know, I can't believe they don't have pews that they, they use chairs in, in that church. Or I can't believe they dress up and wear suits and dresses anymore in church. These are preferences. They're not convictions. And what can happen in church, if we're not careful, we can become like the Zophar. Who's the guy? Who just reaches out with his preferences and he attacks Job. It's like a religious battering ram. And we live in a time and an age where there are a lot of casualties, unfortunately. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to that have dropped out of church and quit going to church because something happened and they were hurt. Now, we're all sinners and I get that and we hurt each other. But that is so tragic. And I want to just go down through here as we look at Zophar. Um, uh, this legalist, and, and just look at some of these thoughts here in chapter 11 as we skim down through here. I want you to notice here in verse 4 of chapter 11. You say to God, my beliefs are flawless 
and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Now, to begin with, in verse 4, he makes a generalization about Job. He's quoting Job, but Job never said it. Job never said, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. He was described as a righteous man. He was described as a blameless man. But he never put himself on a platform and said, I am righteous. I am flawless. What he did say was, if there's any error, talk to me. I want to see it because I want to be right with God. And what happens sometimes uh, among us is we take these generalizations and we hear something and then we think about it and, and we you know rattle it around in our brains and then we talk about it. And then before long it becomes gossip and, and it hurts people. And then people say things about one another that were never said in the first place. That were never true. And, and, and that grows. And, and these preferences, people get left out. And this is to be a, and we need to be a place of grace with an embrace of grace. And, and that gets left out. This is, this is the kind of stuff that Zophar was aiming at Job. That brought him, you know, that brought him pain. I mean, these are the friends that came. These are the guys that are, are supposed to, you know, be in your corner no matter what. And, and so he, he has to hear this, uh, this onslaught toward him. You know, legalists, they don't need facts. They just turn up the volume. Whether you think they're right or not, they just get louder. Drown out anything else. Uh, matter of fact, look down here uh, in seven verses 7 through 9. I mean, he, go, he goes on a religious rant, which is true. What he says is true. But the way he says it to him. Can you fathom the mysteries of God, Job? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens. What can you do? They're deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth, wider than the sea. And he comes at Job, you know, hey, hey, that's not where Job is at the moment. To, to, to be hit with the battering ram of truth. And then he comes down, look at verse 12. He just calls him an idiot. Let's just get blunt about it. Verse 12, he says, but a witless man can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born a man. He says, no more can a donkey's colt, uh, can a man come out. Witless. The, the term literally means empty-headed. We could say airhead in, in some of the words we use today. And that's, you know... When your friend, the guy you trust, he comes to you and he said, you know, Joe, you don't even think, man, you're empty headed. You're an airhead. Just an idiot. Think about the pain with that. Then you drop down to verse 20, you know, he goes on and he speaks and he comes to the end of the chapter and he just drops this bomb. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and escape will elude them. Their 
hope will become a dying gasp. So what's he saying? He's saying, Job, you know, you're you're wicked. Now, here's what he does. He implies this that happens a lot of times with legalists. He acknowledged the greatness of God and he gives all these great truths about God that you can't argue they're true. But then he implies that he knows something about Job that he doesn't really know. And he uses that as a hammer. We need to be very careful about coming to a judgment about people because more often than not, we only partially know what they're going through. We don't have the full picture. We can't clearly see what they're facing. And it's so easy to come to a quick judgment and then build upon that. And, and, and then suddenly you have it all figured out. The problem is, so often it's much bigger than we know. So what is our call? Our call is to watch carefully. Our call is to pray fervently. Hey, when you get down and you've really blown it, think about the Lord. Uh, as a parent um, or a grandparent, you know, maybe you have a situation with a, a, a child or, or a grandchild and, and it's just not following the Lord and, and you just want to play the blame game of I really messed up, I'm really a terrible grandparent, I'm a terrible parent. You know, what have I done? Just think about it. Think about the most perfect parent, God. Guess what? God has wayward children. Doesn't that bring a little comfort? If God, who is the perfect father, the perfect dad, has wayward children, you got good company. If you're in that type of a situation uh, where you're hurting. Okay, uh, chapter 12. I love this. Job answers. I love the fact that he doesn't just sit still. He's not a doormat. He's not ignorant. He's not unimportant. And he doesn't, this time he doesn't need to be beat on, you know. So I love it when he begins to reply. Look at chapter 12. Job replied, doubtless, you're the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> Don't you love it? Did you catch it? So I see that you're the only one who has wisdom. And that if you were to die, the world would just be empty of all wisdom. Give me a break. Who made you king? You know. And then he goes on, he says, but I have a mind as well as you. I do think, guys, you may think I'm witless, but I am not. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? And then notice what he proclaims in verse 4. He says, I become a laughing stock to my friends. How tragic. The people that you think you can confide in and that you can talk to, and you guys treat me like a joke. That's sad. A mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless, he says. Uh, as you can read through that, his... Uh, his pain as he shares. And he goes down through here and as he shares with them, I just want to kind of cover a couple of verses here. Verses 7 through 9, he says, Look, you can look at creation and it speaks clearly about the majesty and the power and the control and the sovereignty of God. He says, uh, Ask the animals, they'll teach you. Or the birds of the air, they'll tell you. Speak 
to the earth and it'll teach you. Let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. He says, hey, creation itself, it speaks this great truth of God. What you shared about God being in charge, being all powerful. Yeah, yeah. That's the testimony that is given, that's clearly shared. Uh, listen, this is Daniel 4, verse 35. Listen to what the prophet had to say. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Then he goes down through... 13, he just reiterates again. Look at the first part of 13. He says, my eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm not in fear to you. He says, but I desire to speak to the Almighty to argue my case with God. You, however, smear me with lies. <laughs> he says, man, God's silent. I want to talk to him. You just are spreading a bunch of lies. He says, you're worthless physicians. You know, you want to give me prescriptions of what I need to do to fix this. You want to fix me, all of you. But it's worthless. He said, look what he says here in verse 5. If only you would be altogether silent. Remember the old saying, it's better to be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Well, at this point, the mouth was opened and all doubt was removed. He said, it would have just been better had you not shared anything at all. Proverbs 17, 27 the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Um, goes through. Uh, let, let's go down to fourteen, verse one, uh, as he shares about the struggle. He says, "Man born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. There's a lot of trouble in life." He says, he springs up like a wild flower and withers away. Fades away like a flower. There, just a moment. Then he says, like a fleeting shadow, he says, it does not endure. The shadow's there, but it's only for a short time. He says, do you fix your eye on such a one? He talks about just how, how brief life can seem, how, how it can be. And he drop down to verse 6. He, he says, so look away from him and let him alone till he has put in his time. Like a hired hand. You see, he's, he's fatigued like a hired hand that has put in many hours. <laughs> when he goes through this, he goes through the end of this, and uh, it, it's like he's depressed. It's like he, he comes out of the chapter kind of with a whimper. Uh, notice um, there's he, he comes to the end of 13. He says, So man wastes away like something rotten, like a garment eaten by moths. Anyway, as he shares down through 14, he he, uh, he comes down and he, man, he's just preaching away. But I want you to look at uh, verse 7. He says, at least there's a hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again. Its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. 
Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. He is dealing with the question of eternity. What happens when I die? He says, you know, you have this tree, it's cut down, but out of the stump will come forth new life. He said, but when I die, will I just be laid in the ground? Now, you have to remember, Job is considered to be back with Genesis as the oldest of the books of Scripture. There is not the revelation revealed that we have through Scripture So it's easy to be kind of tough on Job. Job didn't have the full understanding of of resurrection, of of being made alive through the power of God. That's not what he had. He was grappling with this, just following God, um, being righteous. But but he didn't understand eternity at, at that point. I mean, we have like John 11, 25 and 26. Remember when Lazarus had died and Mary and Martha, they were so upset. If if you'd only been here, Jesus would not have died. And I love Jesus' response, John 11, 25, 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall live forever. And then he says, do you believe this? And and, and so the truth is, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, we have hope to be raised to new life. Beyond what we know here. There, there's, there's hope there. Now, let me close with three questions from this section of Scripture. First question, are you seeking to know the depths of God? Or are you just skimming the surface? You know, I want to get by with just a little bit. Or do you really want to know God? Look at uh, Job 11, verse 7. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? You know, we can fool people sometimes. But we never fool God. So how deep is your walk? Are you just trying to kind of skate by? Or do you have a real hunger and thirst for God? Listen to these words. This is from a book by Larry Crabb called The Pressure's Off. He writes, As a culture, present-day Christianity has redefined spiritual maturity. The reformers knew we were saved to glorify God. We moderns live to be blessed. The mature among us are now thought to be successful, the happy, the effective people, on top of things, doing well. We're more attracted to sermons, books, conferences that reveal the secrets to fulfillment, then to spiritual direction that leads us through affliction into the presence of the Father. (laughs) We seem more interested in managing life into a comfortable existence than in letting God spiritually transform us through life's hardships. That cuts to the quick, doesn't it? (laughs) Don't run from the hardship. Don't seek a friend who will help you get out from under it quickly. Stay there. Stay in it. See, God. All right, that's the first one. Next question. Will it be well when God examines your life or will it be a disappointing discovery? Job 13, verse 9. 
Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive men? Look, when I get to heaven, I won't give an account for you. I won't give an account for your life, but I will give an account for my life. It says in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us shall give an account of ourselves to God. That's coming. And it's wise for us to consider how important it is to walk with a living God. To examine our lives. We don't want it to be a disappointing discovery. Listen to these words from Alexander McLaren back in the 1800s. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me. The plan of my life as it might have been. Had he had his way. And I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there. And I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. Oh, he'd have me rich. And I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. The judgment seat is meant for us professing Christians, real and imperfect Christians. And it tells us that there are degrees in that future blessedness proportioned to present faithfulness. Isn't that good? All right. One last one. We're closed. Okay. Uh, turn with me to Job 14.14. 14. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. This question, which goes with the scripture, a little different. When you die, where will you live? You see, the truth of the matter is, everyone has eternal life. The question is not, will I live forever? The question is one of destiny. Where will I live forever? You see, we are in a day where we want, we want people to like us. We want to respect everybody. We want to be sensitive to one another. And all that is good. But the truth of the matter is, our job is to please God more than one another. And his truth sometimes is not very uplifting when we're being convicted by the Spirit of God. When we're faced with the simple truth of the matter that although, you know, compared to the people around us, we're good neighbors, we're good citizens, good, maybe even good church people. But are we headed to heaven? Because apart from the work of Jesus Christ. Being clearly taken. As my hope. Apart from the forgiveness that he provided at Calvary. 
My destination is hell. And we live in a day where you can't say that. How can I not say that? The Bible is so clear on that, guys. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain. There's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. It's clear. So the question is, just straight up, where you headed? Let's pray. Master, uh, as we have looked at Job, how he endured suffering, rebuke that he didn't deserve. Father, we need to examine our own hearts, Lord. I pray uh, for any of us, myself included, uh, God, may I not be a battering ram. May I not charge people with um, truth of you to beat them up. But, Father, may I share with love your truth, Father, that they might discover you. It might hurt, because it does hurt when we're convicted and we see how we really are. But, Father, we've got to be honest with this, because there's too much at stake. If, if we're trying to face eternity without Jesus Christ, then there's no way to plug this as positive thinking. Because what awaits us, Father, is suffering and punishment. and Just, you're not there. And so, God, I pray this morning, we have a time we call response, invitation. What are you up to, Lord? We have an altar that's open. Who do you want to come to the altar and pray? Who do you want to come forward to share with your people what you're doing in their heart, their life? Father, what are you doing, Lord? I'm not even... God, I want to serve you. I want to love you. But the truth of the matter is, God, you're the one that must work. Father, our efforts are, well, we're just without the power of you. We're just going through the motions. And we want to go with the master instead. So have your way this morning as we sing, as we come. Maybe we don't need to come forward. Maybe we just need to make a decision right where we are. But whatever it is, God, I just pray that we do business with you and that we say yes to the moving of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, God. Because you're big enough and strong enough to know what that is, even though I don't. In your name we pray. Amen.